Please turn in your Old Testaments now to Psalm 103, verses 6 through 14. Uh, what a joy to begin a new year just kind of asking the Lord to give us direction and inspiration to go to Psalm 103 for these three weeks before we head into Reach to Embrace. And here is the word of the Lord. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses and His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does He repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his own children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him, for He remembers our frame. He knows and remembers that we are but dust. You know, people have the most interesting notions about God, and I know they always have, but it seems like in the digital age, we just are privy to more thoughts and more, you know, opinions about God, and as we kind of get into kind of a, an age of, of hyper-pluralism, uh, we definitely see that there's a mushrooming of, of just whatever I imagined God to be like, that's what He's like. That's my God. In, in fact, you know, I, I'm always interested to, to hear people who are, are just so dogmatic. My God would never do this, and my God would always do that. You know, my God's like a little teddy bear, and He's so comforting and, and cozy, and, and my God would never deal with, with sin or something like that. And, you know, it kind of comes to that, really. And, and I always say, you know what, I think that's true. Your God would not do that. But your God, I wouldn't say this out loud, is somewhat irrelevant to who the deity actually is. You see, as finite human beings, as fallen people, as selfish people, we simply don't have the ability to project from who we are who God really is. And, you know, if, even when we, on our best day, when we try, it just falls short of God. In fact, to, to do that, we always kind of end up sinning, really, because it's always not God. It's less than God. You know what we need. You know what we need. And, and let me, if we could just get this in our hearts right now for, for uh, 2013, we need revelation from God. We actually need God to tell us about God. Now, that is the Scriptures. Now, that is a blessing. Now, though we will not be able to comprehend all that God is, even through Scriptures, you know, John Calvin used to talk about even the Scriptures, as, as, as deep as they are, it, it's like God bending down and talking baby talk to us because He's so great. But we need revelation from God. And, and today, 
our passage, our text, paints two unforgettable pictures of what God is like, of the nature of His character. And I, and I prayed and I, I pray now that, that the Lord would, would, would lead us on the one hand through the one picture into an amazing sense of reverence and awe and worship of His greatness. And through the other picture that we would be comforted and, and grasped by His love and, and assured as we move forward with Him into the new year. Now, I would like to put the passage into a sentence. This is what we want to teach this morning. That the God of might is the God of mercy. Let me say that again. The God of might is the God of mercy. David begins by talking about how mighty God is, how in control, how no one can stop Him. Verse 6, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses and His deeds, or we might say His mighty deeds, to the people of Israel. And here is the picture of a God who has the power to enforce His Word and His will. Here is a God who is not fooled by anybody and, and where there is injustice and oppression. And this is just true. It will be dealt with by this almighty God. He is the defender of the weak. He is the executioner of the cruel. He remembers the oppressed and acts on their, their part with great power. And David, in this passage, wants us to get a sense of the, the might and the mercy of God. And he's going to use another character in the Bible to open a window for us. And that character is Moses. And in, in, in twice, he's going to say, it's just like Moses. Did you see verse 6? That the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He, he showed how great he was to Moses. And he showed his mighty power, his mighty acts to the people of Israel. Remember this picture of oppression? 400 years. Captive, enslaved, oppressed in Egypt. How many generations came and went saying, is God ever going to bring justice? Does God still see our oppression? Will He ever be moved with compassion and in His might lead us out of this oppression? And the answer was, yes. And Moses was called and, and raised up by God to go right back where he was raised in the, the courts of Pharaoh to stand on behalf of God Almighty and to demand that the most powerful man in the entire world obey him, Moses, the shepherd who represented God Almighty. And you know, Pharaoh, his heart was hardened. We read this in Romans 9. You know why? To say no to Moses and to God nine times and for ten mighty demonstrations of God's might and power and wonders to be seen. That we might not just hear about the might of God, that it may be seen on the earth and the ten plagues, but, 
not just the ten plagues, right? It, it, it's this whole thing about he has the ability to bring justice. And so he opens up the Red Sea. Remember, they're, they're trapped. They're, they're done by his mighty power. But that's not all, is it? An army was drowned in that same sea who were the oppressors. And that was done. And all the things that we see in the wilderness. Now God is a God of might. And it was Moses more than any other man since the Garden of Eden who face to face, so to speak, God representing himself in such a way that Moses could handle it, that, that just was with God and, and knew about God and knew God more than any other person up to that point. And Moses had a healthy respect of the mighty and the majesty and the holiness of God. And, and he understood from experience the swiftness of God's justice. When God decides to move, nobody can stop him. Let my people go meant you better let my people go. Now, what David is saying in Psalm 103 in his day is God's still like that. We can still trust in a mighty God. We still need to have deep reverence and a sense of awe. That's who we want to follow. You realize whether it is in this world or the next, injustice will be judged, will be dealt with by this holy and this mighty God. The Lord works righteousness. No one stops Him and justice for all the oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel, and you just can't flout his righteousness without facing his justice. You just can't. So first, whoa, the God of might. Thankfully, aren't you glad we're not going to just leave it at that? Thankfully is the God of mercy. Look with me at verses 8 through 10. Immediately after that, it, it says the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he harbor or keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. It's a very different picture that we shift into not different in the sense that it's contradictory, but different in the sense that the God of might is the God of mercy. And look, you just probably know in your life, like I do, there are just some people who can't put those two together. No, God is, he is sovereign, He is mighty, and He's just angry, and, he, and He's going to punish everybody. And it's almost like a, feels like an Islamic kind of feeling about God the Father. And then there are some people like, God's just a squishy little teddy bear and he just comforts me and he snuggles with me and no matter what I do, he is okay and I kind of make up who he is anyway and God cannot be that holy God of might. Yeah. He's both. The God of might is the God of mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Verse 8 says, He's merciful. He is moved in His thoughts toward us. He has pity on our fallenness and still loves us. I mean, you do get it that we don't have a shell game going on with God. He sees who we really are as fallen, selfish people. And 
through his son, and we'll talk more about that in relationship, in a covenant relationship with him, he says, look, I do, I see all that yuck, I I see that you love me, I see all this stuff, and I don't want to get rid of you. I love you. And merciful, I'm going to make sure that all that should happen to you is not going to happen to you, because I love you. Now, David takes us back to Moses again. If you turn to Exodus 34, you'll see that David's actually quoting Moses in this passage. Exodus 34, 4. This is when, um, remember, Moses went up on the mountain and he received the laws of love called the Ten Commandments. Um, Those were God's people. It was all based on grace in this covenant. And God gave the ten words or the ten laws of love. This is the life of freedom. This is the life of blessing. This is what grace looks like in real life. It's called the law of God. And none of us can complete the law of God. We're always falling down. And that's why we need this God of, of merciful and compassion. But, you know, Moses didn't send the Ten Commandments down from the mountain to ruin people's day. I mean, God didn't send it down to ruin people's day. So Moses comes down with these, with these ten gifts for this this people who are becoming a nation. And what does he see? Man, they are... You've seen the movie. You know, they they are dancing in front of a golden calf in wanton sin. And, you know, it is awful. I mean, he comes down with the laws of love and the very thing that will keep us close to his heart of grace for us. And they are worshiping a God they have made. They have rejected and turned away from the Lord. And Moses is so mad. He is just hyperventilating. And he basically takes those tablets and in his heart, he says, you're not worthy of all this grace. And he just smashed the Ten Commandments because he made the determination that if people are going to treat God like that, they didn't deserve his laws of love. They didn't deserve his leadership. Well, what's interesting is is once all that shattered, Moses really goes, "Uh uh-oh, okay, Uh, God, instead of me judging them, could I pray on their behalf so you won't wipe them off the face of the earth? So God, Moses becomes this, this interceder with God, you know? And God says, basically, write the Ten Commandments on two more tablets, and, and, and I want you to, to come up on the mountain. He says, and he does it, and he tells the people, I'm going up on the mountain. When I disappear, you know who I'll be with. So Moses, as it says, and I love the passage, disappeared into the thick darkness. And when he was on top of the mountain, a cloud descended, the glory of God, thick glory, and enveloped Moses. We read this in Exodus 34. God told told him to chisel it out. Um, Then the Lord came down in a cloud. The Lord descended, we read, in the cloud and stood there with him, representing obviously himself to Moses in a way that Moses wouldn't just die. Wow, this is amazing. The glory cloud came down. It's just God standing next to Moses. And God wants to say something to Moses. And it's going to shock you what he says. Because what we would say is, is cloud down, cone of silence. Um, Look, Moses, 
You go back down there and you tell those people who don't love me, I'm coming after them. That's not what he says. Listen to what he says. The Lord descended in the clouds, stood with him there, and proclaimed his own name, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping name of God. Moses can't believe it. God begins to dance and sing with joyful compassion for his sinful people. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed about himself, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgressions of sin. You get it? The God of might that comes down, that, that shakes the mountain, is the God of mercy who loves His people. Verse 8 of Psalm 103, He is gracious, seeing that we won't always love Him with all of our hearts. And thank you, Wilson, for praying this week. We have not loved you with all of our hearts. Lord, we need you. And that we will even reject Him at times and we will worship at other altars of other of people and, and things and ideas. And yet, He still wants to give us His love. Mercy is not getting what you should get. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. And God says, I, I want to give it all to you. I know. I'm your God. I love you. He wants to give it and He does not want to be anger angry. Uh, David says he is slow to anger, just like you are. No, that's not the way we are, is it? Slow to anger. I mean, somebody says something about us, or slights us, or cheats us out of something, or even the appearance of this, or even if we misread the situation, what do we do? Anger. Anger. You know what the two words in Hebrew for long-suffering or slow to anger are? They literally mean God with a long nose. Isn't that interesting? How when God describes Himself, He says, I'm, the, I'm merciful and I'm gracious and I have a very long nose when it comes to your sin. Now, we can understand this. We do need to kind of understand it. Um, when you get mad, the Bible associates anger with breathing. <laughs> you know, just that breathing. Well, guess what? That's what the Bible talks about anger in terms of breathing. In ter breathing out murderous threats. You remember Saul. Um, and, and, and basically what happens is, is the Bible talks about how when people are mad and they are really, really angry, they, they begin to breathe hard and their nose gets red. It, by the way, that's what happens. And the reason with all that breathing is all the blood vessels uh, kind of run to your nose. And basically what, what is happening here is oh, God is compassionate, He's great, and He has a real long nose. Our, our way of putting it is, is He has a long fuse. His nose is not going to get red all the way up to His brain and judgment. In fact, His nose is so long, you'll never get to the wrath of God. Never. He's compassionate and gracious. His nose is so long, you can never get to it. Old Testament scholar Victor Hamilton says when he is 
compassionate God's nose becomes long, so long that it would take forever to burn, which is the idea of the redness of nose. Forever to burn completely. He is the God of long-nosed mercy. Matthew Henry says he bears long with those who are very provoking. That would be me. He just keeps on loving. Slow to anger. He bears with those that are very provoking, deferring that he may give space to repent. He does not speedily execute the sentence of his law. We get this. He's talking about about his children. We get this. You know, think about the difference between your children in a restaurant misbehaving and somebody else's. Okay, so here's a young couple, and they've needed some time together, and they're paying, I don't know what the going rate is, $500 for four hours of babysitting or something like that. They are going to go to a really nice restaurant, let's say Ruth's Chris, and maybe a booth, one of those private booths. They're going to look into one another's eyes and gaze at each other, and they're going to communicate with, with, with such affirmation. I mean, this whole thing's getting built up. They move in, and they, they, they are seated, and right at the table, right behind, is a child acting, I mean, tearing up the teepee, yelling disrespect for parents flailing everywhere screaming and the parents are trying to do something and you know you you just say i'd like to discipline that child (laughs) but now you're in the restaurant and it's your own children and they're acting out and in your mind you're saying You know, for the good of those around us, we really do need to get in control of Precious. But you know, we we know Precious' heart. And Precious is not as bad as everybody thinks. And, And so, though we're trying to get in control of Precious, there is a different attitude toward that child. That's like God. God never gets so mad at His kids that He that He just executes them. Slow to anger. Verse 8 says he is also abounding in steadfast love. That word, steadfast love, is the word chesed, which means the covenant love. It means the love that won't go away. It's the love that comes from a relationship that God himself has initiated, that God himself has sealed by his own work that cannot be undone. So you know you can count on the chesed love of God because it comes from His actions all the way to the cross. And we'll get there in a moment. But it, for now, let's look at these words. He is abounding in love. I mean, here we are sinning and flouting all this, and God is just, He's not, he's not angry. He, he, we're His kids. And He's just overflowing. The fountain of goodness is overflowing with love and it just never... Why do we walk away from this God who gives us the love that our souls crave for, never turns off the the faucet, ladles out continually out of this promise. And He can't act against Himself and He loves us. He is abounding in steadfast love. Verse 9 says he will not always chide, or the word is accuse, means accuse. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. The phrase will not accuse or not chide literally means 
He will not always bring a court case against us. Very unlike Americans, the most litigious people who have ever walked the face of the earth, a cup of coffee spills on you at McDonald's, and $3 million later we're done with court. No, God says, look, look, I know who you are. I love you. Walk with me. Don't walk away from me. I'm not going to build a court case against you. I'm not going to arraign you. Don't you love it? Nor will he harbor his anger forever. God doesn't remain angry. Sins confess. God lets it go. His nose is so long he never gets to wrath. I mean, we're so unlike him. We get so angry so quickly. I mean, God's love is is all this other-centered love. You know, God is the most secure being in the universe. He is self-contained. He is eminently, unspeakably happy. You don't really think, you know, every moment on earth, there's every nanosecond, think of all the sin and selfishness going on on the earth. You'd think God would just be some frustrated old man in heaven who's just huffing and puffing all the time. He's not. Now, God is not a frustrated being. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, we're unlike Him. We harbor grudges. What this is saying, he will not hold on to his anger, harbor. It just means God not only gets to the point around, he will not hold grudges against you. You know, when you think God won't forgive me about this, that's just you superintending the way you would be over God. He's not like that. He won't hold grudges. Oh, but we will. We will. Something happens. We're holding a grudge. We nurture that grudge. We get so far from it that we can't quite remember exactly what the original thing, but we've had so much tit for tat and so much insult to injury that we got this thing going on with somebody and it's sucking the life out of you. This is saying, I love you. I'm the God of might. I'll deal with oppression and injustice, but I don't want a thing with you. I'm not going to have a thing going on with you. I'm not going to take you to court. I'm going to keep loving you. Verse 10. And this is amazing. This is one of my favorite verses in the scripture because I'm a sinner. He does not deal with us as our sins deserve according to our sin. I mean, there's something in the human soul that says there's something not quite right about that. Check. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He does not repay us corresponding or according to our iniquities. Psalm 103, I'll I'll say it in the King James, how I memorize it. If thou, O Lord, didst mark iniquities, or if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? Answer, no one, because he's holy. But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. We need to realize every sin gets punished. Remember when God said in the, in the giving of the Ten Commandments, the guilty will by no means go unpunished. This was so amazing about this whole covenant thing and the, and, and the, and the, the, the fruition of, of, of giving the, the fruit of it to us that God Himself would take our sins and every one of them be punished instead of us being punished? Why would God do that?
because he loves us, because it all leads to a relationship that's based on his initiation, that is finally based on his own son in gore and blood stretched out on a Roman cross saying, Elei, Elei, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you turned away from me? Because of sin. And everything carried out on Jesus. Yeah, the punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, all of us. Each has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. No, they all get punished. And we realize that what we sow, even as believers, we do reap in some fashion. We say, okay, well, everything's punished. That means we don't reap what we sow. Well, that would just be to say that the Bible is contradictory. Right? Do we reap what we sow? Even as believers? Yes, we do. I got good news for you. We reap what we sow according to God's mercy. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Nor does He repay us in a one-to-one corresponding to our iniquities. Meaning, we do not reap exactly what we sow. I mean, this is my, my favorite verse in talking to Hindus who believe in karma, that there's not one iota of wrong that's not punished at some time now or in another life. And not one blessing or good thing that's not rewarded. And there's an algebra, a spiritual algebra that's going on there. And when I'm talking to a Hindu person and I say, hey, look, I understand. You you believe in, in, in accountability before the deity. Bravo. I have a little different view. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, nor repay us according to our iniquity. And I was on the plane with a, a young man from India not too long ago, and he said, Really? Y'all believe that? I said, yeah, it's called grace. This is the heart of God. For us, the, the might. See, he gets the mightiness of God. He doesn't get the mercy of God. The, 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 the mighty God is, is the merciful God. No, he will not one-to-one pay you back. Whatever he does to you is out of, of allows to happen to you is out of love. It's chastening. It is for restoration. It's all for good. You can trust this Father of grace who loves you. If you are His child and you have sinned, and we all have sinned, but there are people sitting here who's like, I've really sinned. I don't know if God is going to take me back. And we, we go through all these gyrations that are so unnecessary and unbiblical. And there are some people sitting here thinking, I just wonder how God is going to get me in 2013. You need to quit worrying about that. God isn't going to get you. God's going to love you. And He's going to love you in the way that best fits how you can learn love and grow deeper into His heart of love and glorify Him the best. And we do need to repent and let let God bring our correction in His loving way. And then verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgression from us. There's almost a spatial dimension of God's grace. You know, the heaven and the earth, how far is that? That's like as far as you can think. The east is from the west, how far is that? That's further than you can actually imagine. 
And I said something really stupid in the early service. I said, we ought to, we ought to make a children's song that God's love is high and deep. And several people were like, Joseph, deep and wide after, after the service. I'm like, okay, yeah, it's already been made up. Yeah, it is. Don't you love these contrasts? To give you, it's almost like Yahweh is saying, look, this is true. Let me just tell you how big it is. How expect, You can come into this. There's room for you. High as the heavens, east from the west. I, I remember when I was at Auburn University and, and I was not a believer. And I was with a group of believers in the uh, social organization I was a, a part of. And you know, I, I was one of these hair trigger kind of angry people that didn't like to be told I wasn't a Christian. And so people would come talk to me about Jesus and I would say in as many words, leave me alone. I am a Christian. If you don't believe me, you just need to go down into the basement, third door on the left, second filing cabinet of First Presbyterian Church of Quincy, Florida. I am there. I've been confirmed. You're like, that's not what it's about. So I'm walking after class across the drill field, which is now apartments, you know, progress. And I'm walking across that field, and there's this, there's this shorter guy with, orange red hair named Jim Merck who's a one of these in, really smart people one of the engineers very attention to detail very humble so it's really hard to like get in Jim Merck's face when he starts talking the best I could do is judge not lest you be judged <laughs> I, I, I like that one got me a Bible verse to, to defend myself we're, we're walking across the drill field and, and Jim Merck says Joseph t- tell me tell me where you are with Jesus I'm like the drill field's huge he waits till halfway out there I'm like, oh, no. He says, look, Joseph, let me tell you what it's like for me. He says, you know what the Bible says about our sin? That, that through what Christ has done, he explained the cross to me very quickly and effectively. He said, you know, just because of God's love and what he's done and what we receive, he, will, he separates our sins. He quoted Psalm 103. As far from us as the east is from the west. Do you know how far that is, Joseph? No, Jim, I don't know. He goes, it's kind of infinite. That's the point. And I'm sitting there walking, trying to ignore Jim Merck. And something inside of me just kind of snapped in a good way. And I thought for a a shining moment, this is part of God calling me to Christ. I would give anything if that were true. How far is it? Infinite. Based on what He has done. How high is it? High as the heavens are above the earth. It reminds us of... And and look, as a child of God, I sin, we sin. I've still got to remember east from west because of the cross. Repent it. East from west. And you know what we do is thank the Lord it's east from west because we would go as far as it took to to go wallow in it again, to to go mess with it again. And God says, no, you can't mess with it. It's forgiven. It's as far as the east is from the west. It reminds us of a New Testament passage, Ephesians 3.17. And I pray, Paul says, that you, being rooted and established in love, in the, the love of Christ, may with power, together with all the saints, grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of God. Isn't that beautiful? That's for you. 
I remember as a child, my own father, who was six foot four and a half, being a very powerful person, both, both physically but also in terms of authority, you know. He was my dad. And, and I know this is not the case for everybody sitting here. But yet, he was, he was so strong, but he was so tender. And, and, and I remember his compassion. And, and I remember looking back on it that I, I got just a little microcosm of what it felt like to be loved by such a powerful person regardless. If you don't have a father alive or if you have a father that didn't meet up to that and no father meets up to it like God, I want you to know you can have a father, a heavenly father who is everything you need. And this leads us to that last verse, verse 13, last little section, as a father has compassion on his children. See, that's where it goes. It's all about God's might. Then it's about His compassion. Then all these, these ways of explaining how loving and compassionate He goes kind of, kind of comes down. It's kind of like a dad, but better. As a father has compassion on his own children, so the Lord has compassion, mercy on those who fear Him. For He knows who we are. He remembers that we're not made out of double reinforced tungsten steel that we are dust and we are weak. He made us out of dust. When we think of God in these ways, it warms our hearts. And, and this tender Father, this powerful God who will right every wrong and who carried out all of our wrong who trust in Him on His own Son, who in the face of our struggles with selfishness, yea, though we love Him, remains faithful in covenant love and mercy and compassion like a father, but so much greater. The God of might is the God of mercy. That's who I need going forward in 2013. What about you? I want to close by just quoting the first verse in the chorus from a song many of you have heard. It's, How Far Is the East from the West? by Casting Crowns. Because I'd like to just take us to the cross and leave us there from Psalm 103. Here I am, Lord, and I'm drowning in your sea of forgetfulness. The chains of yesterday surround me, and I yearn for peace and rest. I don't want to end up where you found me, and it echoes in my mind, keeps me awake tonight. I know that you've cast my sin as far as the east is from the west. And I stand before you now as though I'd never sinned. But today, I feel like I'm just one mistake away from you leaving me this way. Jesus, can you show me? I know about it. Can you show me just how far the east is from the west? Because I can't bear to see the man I've been rising up in me again. In the arms of mercy, I find rest. I, you just, you know just how far it is from the east to the west. From one scarred hand to the other. Isn't that beautiful? That is the God of might who is the God of mercy. Let's pray. Oh Lord, would you just... Would you help your people to see it? 
Lord, what will we give to, to know this love in an experiential knowledge at the beginning of this year, to, to run into your arms where you alone we find mercy and rest and not run away from you. To follow after you and paths of righteousness for your namesake. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you are God Almighty. But that you are God the Merciful who sings and dances over your sinful people. Lord, would you cause people to run to you and ask you to help them walk with you in your mercy this year. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.